This is God's word. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hands of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for humankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who live there. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched grounds into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live, and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them, and their numbers greatly increased, and he did not let their herds diminish. Then their numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Let all who are wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. The word of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me. Our God of grace, as we come to this um, time where we listen to scripture and we try to understand what it means for our lives, I pray that you meet us wherever we find ourselves with you, and you meet us with your grace. We're more of a mess than we care to admit. Our lives more full of brokenness and we want the people around us, even in our own family, to know. And you see us in all of our beauty and brokenness. You see us in the, in the lovely uniqueness of our lives, but you also see the mess. And, and regardless of that, you still move towards us with your grace. Consistently, we see that in Scripture, that your posture is to move towards broken people. We ask that you do that now in such a way that our lives find some transformation and change because of your grace. Amen. The questions of the week from last week... Sorry, maybe I don't have those. I thought I had that with me. There was a question of the week last week. Oh, there it is. Thanks, Emily. My assistant up front. Um, The question of the week last week, which there's another one on the card this week. The question is, have you ever run away from a love that is good for you? So I love hearing people's responses to that. This week, the question goes like this. Or, Or last week, the question went like this. How would you define love? We have these different answers. Selfless commitment. Someone else says, love makes you feel safe and secure. Love makes you do things you wouldn't normally do. Someone else says, it's an aching or desire so deep in your heart for someone or something. Someone else says, I think the one requirement for love, uh, to be love, is putting the other before yourself. As we talk about love, today I want to ask, I want to consider the question of, okay, so we did this baptism and Ivy was up here. We imagine, as we do that in the church, we kind of imagine, okay, someday our hope and our prayer is as a community is that she experiences God's grace here and in her life so much that she would make us some kind of step in which she publicly grabs hold of that faith for herself. 
And so we picture, you know, maybe 15, 20, 30 years from now, you know, when people are driving around in flying cars and riding on hoverboards, um, and we don't even need computers anymore. Um, what are people going to say? How are they going to describe what they, when they hear that, this, that Ivy has joined a church or professed her faith or um, has become a follower of Jesus, however she ends up saying it? When that happens, how will people consider it? I wonder if they'll talk the same way that they talk um, in, our, in our world today, the same way you and I are used to seeing this and hearing this from friends, or maybe this is somewhat of your perspective as well. Are they going to say, well, oh, that's, that's interesting that she made that choice that's, that works for her, that she's, um, she finds meaning in religion, and she's a religious person. You know, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And, and you know, you've heard people talk about this and, com- and kind of have these meaningful conversations and maybe say something like, you know, for me, just going, I don't need, I don't need religion. Um, for me, I, just, I go to the mountains and just getting on a ski lift, you know, and getting up there is just opens up my soul to reality. Someone else says, um, you know, just being with good friends, a good, you know, good meal, glass of wine, that's a spiritual experience. Someone else says, you know, I just need to get on my Harley and open it up on the open road on the weekend, and, and that I'm just locked into a moment of enlightenment. Someone else says, you know, I, I, doing my art, uh, my soul connects with a higher power, or... or you know, maybe like that one psychologist whose name I can't pronounce. I need to get in the flow, whatever the flow is for you. I find my flow in this or that activity, and that's spiritual for me. And it's a little bit, you know, that, that train of thought, which I understand, can, can sometimes end up, if it's, if it's Ivy someday they're talking about, can end up sounding a little bit almost condescending, isn't it? It's almost never a big compliment to say that, that you're religious. <laughs> it's almost, it's more of just like, I can be okay, I can tolerate that you're in that place, but it certainly isn't for me. Where does it leave that? Basically, I want to tease that out a little bit and see what the psalm has to say, because I think when someone says, well, I'm spiritual, but maybe all of you who are here this morning, if you want to be here, you're a religious person. Well, what does that mean? That means that you're looking to this bigger, deeper meaning or of divine reality in some practices we do together, maybe a traditional baptism, saying a creed, we said that, you know, saying these higher level belief kinds of things and saying, I agree with that and I'm going to go to a place where we say that and sing that. Is that what we're hoping Ivy just had? Just, just that level of just, I believe something and so I'm going to repeat it with other people and I'm going to go every week and be involved in saying and repeating and singing those same things. I, I think that might be involved, but I think that that actually misses something really big that is essential to what happens here, what is essential to what's in here. And in Psalm 107, it sort of unlocks that reality. Because in Psalm 107, what we see is that it's not just about assenting to some truth and repeating and repeating and tightening those belief screws over and over again each week. But it suggests something really beautiful, that there's this this multiplicity of stories in the gathered community And they are stories of how God has worked wonders in your life. So you see, there's there's actually a chorus in this psalm. And if you're really paying close attention, you saw that we didn't read all of the psalm. It's it's a little too long for today to read all of it. But I'll give you the overview is that there's a chorus. And the chorus comes in at verse 8. And it comes in again at verse 15. And it comes in again at verse 21. And then it comes in where we read it 
and it says this. It's the same every time, all four times. Let, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for humankind. There's actually two parts to that. Two key words or phrases in there. And the first one probably closest gets us to that idea of, okay, someday Ivy will be maybe religious. She'll do what religious people do. She'll say things maybe that she believes in. And that would be the word chesed. And it's unfailing love is how it's translated, chesed. It's a deep, rich, rich, rich word in the Bible, and it has to do with God's character. He is so, so, so inclined to make loving connections with us and to do the kind of things that make those connections really, really strong, even when we pull out of them. That's chesed, covenant love. So in one sense, when the gathered community comes, we, we, we are saying, yes, we believe in God the Father Almighty, and we believe in chesed, we believe in his unfailing love shown through these things that we see in the Bible, and we grab hold of those, yes. Then there's the second part of the chorus, and it's wonderful deeds for humankind. I actually memorized the Hebrew so that I can sound smarter than everyone. Not, not really, but it was kind of cool to read it. I thought that, well, that kind of rolls off after you get it. So it goes, let's see if I can remember it. Um... Vanefalatayu lebene adam. It's really impressive, isn't it? Vanefalatayu lebene adam. And it's these wonderful things. It's just wonder, awe inspiring things that God does for his people. Or the, the technical way of saying that back then was the sons of Adam. Labene adam. So what we have here is something very interesting. It's, not, it's basically saying from all time, way back then already this was true. It's not just a bunch of people gathering together and, and tightening those belief screws until you strip the bolt. You know, let's, let's do it over and over. Let's do these things every Sunday. No, it's also saying what you should be suspecting if you're a part of this community, if you're connecting with this Jesus or even just exploring it, you should be suspecting that God is at work powerfully in the mundane of your life writing a story. The psalm itself is structured um, with a fourfold structure. So you got those four choruses, but you have these also, this interesting thing where it affirms the variety of stories. It says it, at the very beginning in verse 2 let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. But it's not just one story. It's not like, oh, we all have the same story. No. Because then we get into it in verse 4, and you see in verse 10, and you see in verse 17, and you see in verse 23, all of those verses start with the word some. So it goes, some wandered in desert wastelands. Another place that says, some became fools through their rebellious ways. Another one says, some went on the, on the sea in ships. And this isn't just to try to get you to say, are you like a desert monastic or are you like a sailor? You know, like which one? No, it's just to kind of give us four samples of the variety of kinds of experiences that we have when we draw together. And then when it kind of wraps up the psalm, the part that we read... We get, we get an even better glimpse of just the kinds of things in life you can expect God to be doing as he writes your story. The kinds of areas of your life he tends to work. And guess what? It's not just the mountaintop ski lift kind of place. It's not when you're having that experience of flow. It's not when you're you know, doing all these incredible epiphany kind of things. It's actually just a lot of mundane, really basic parts of life. Verse 35 basically says, water. You know, hydration. The parched ground into flowing springs. Verse 36 says, Then he brought the hungry to live, and they founded a city where they could settle. So now you've got um, habitation. You've got shelter. Um, then, it, then it talks about, They sowed fields, planted vineyards, yielded a fruitful harvest. Now you've got food. You've got nutrition. 
Then you're moving on, and you got he blessed them. Their numbers increased, and he didn't let their herds diminish, which is basically an economic statement. So you have flourishing of population, social flourishing, and the economic structure is blessed. Basically, we've got okay, hydration. We've got habitation. We've got nourishment. And we've got social and economic flourishing. These are, these, are, these are the ways God works. It's pretty basic, friends. But what it pushes you to consider is, do you just have a view that you're spiritual when you're you know, out there in that really you know, reflective experience? Is that where spirituality is most embodied? It's there. No doubt it's there. But also, and what many of you who I've walked the journey of faith with have experienced, is it's in the mundane and it's in the minutiae. And just to add one more layer to that that challenges us is it, it's, it's especially in your trouble. Because I looked a couple of times in these four stories, these four sample stories, none of them are these perfect, amazing, you know, it's not like, you know, some of you will win the lottery and experience God, that, God's redemption that way. Some of you will, will have a wonderful, happy life, a great family and a good job. And God will redeem you. Not, not, actually, those are great things, but these four samples really tap into the reality that God really gets active in our trouble and really meets us in our trouble. And some of you are here this morning processing your trouble or you're here simply because of the trouble in your life or suddenly me bringing this up just opens a floodgate of things in the past that you've been trying to bury. God works in the minutiae, in the mundane of our lives, especially in our trouble. Rather than come up with, you know, look online for sermon illustrations to illustrate this, or from some book somewhere, I called Nathan. And I said, Nathan, will you talk a little bit and close out this sermon for me? And as Nathan has often done for me when I ask him things, he says, sure. (laughs) So Nathan not only is liturgist today, but he's the guest speaker um, to close out this message. So Nathan, I want to invite you on up, and I think this mic... It's still on, yeah. Bless you, friend. Thanks. All right. Um, Well, start off by just talking a little bit about my favorite movie, Um, (laughs) The Thin Red Line. Has anyone seen it? That was my favorite. It is my favorite movie. It's a film set during uh, the Battle of Guadalcanal in World War II. I was in middle school when it came out, and for some reason, while my friends were obsessed with, like, Dude, Where's My Car, and other movies like that, I, I had this unusual draw to this, to this film, and to its metaphors, its imagery, and the stories of, of the characters. And I particularly was moved by the story of Private Bell, who uh, lovingly writes his wife all the time throughout the movie until... Um, you know, expressing his love and uh, undying love for her. And then one day he finally receives a letter in return stating that she was leaving. She was going to be leaving him. And I could not imagine the degree of heartbreak and helplessness that he, f- he felt. And so f- for years, even to this day, it inspired, it's been, become a theme. It's inspired poems um, of finding strength and reconnecting to what's meaningful in the face of something that's outside of my control. And so I, I imagined, um, you know, I often imagine how I would respond in that situation. And I, I began to really resonate with the emotions 
of, of Private Bell's experience. You know, one, you know, one could argue that, I don't know, I had a biological predisposition to be obsessed with this movie, but <laughs> I, I, I don't believe so because it wasn't until the summer of 2011 that I realized that the Lord had used that starting when I was seventh grade Nathan to prepare me. Um, at the time, I was, uh, I was married. I was 11 months into marriage, four and a half years over four and a half years into a relationship, and I was out of town working uh, with about a week left to go before I went home, back home to Sacramento. And uh, my wife at the time, she sent me a series of text messages saying that she was leaving and uh, would be filing for divorce. That's actually the last time I, I have not seen her since. So it was... Uh, pretty traumatic. And I remember a clear thought passing through my head saying, you know, Nathan, this is, this is going to hit you like a train. Uh, but you don't need to respond how you might think you do. Uh, you don't need to be afraid. I remember those words. And I had become, I'd become Private Bell. And, and there was nothing I could do but let it hit. And it hit hard. Uh, but the Lord surrounded me with grace, uh, with so many loving people. Within an hour, I think there was a dozen people by my side. And I wasn't even living in that town anymore, but they, they came. Um, and I eventually, I stayed with my grandparents uh, who live up in Rockland and started going to church again. I wasn't really active in my, my faith at that time. Believed, but wasn't really active. Uh, and a little side note, my grandpa, who... Same situation, wasn't really active in his face, started going to church. 83, and he hadn't gone to church since he was 18, and he still goes today after that experience. But um, it was through that church in Rockland that I got connected to Mark and City Life. I met Mark about a month after this happened. Uh, and the emotions I felt were, you know, were extremely painful, but they were familiar. You know, all that processing, all that experience just with the thinner line and this experience that happened to this character, it, I, I knew these emotions. Um, and I knew not to run from them. I ran to loved ones. I, I ran to prayer, to the church community. Uh, you know, I kept going to grad school. I kept going to the gym and eating organic food. And it, it didn't take long to start feeling better. Um, and I, I do believe that not only did the Lord prep me for it, but he gave me the wisdom to grieve well. And he, he used it to draw me closer to him. So after this experience, I'm sure, you know, you're thinking, oh, yeah, he, he learned his lesson, right? He, he, knows, he knows what's going on now. No. I, um, <laughs> I became more active in church, but I still chose not to listen to the Lord. I still <laughs> chose to go my own path. Uh, even, you know, my brother, who's a strong religious and, and spiritual counsel in my life, I did not listen to him and entered into another relationship with, uh, and even that was a year and a half and even included an engagement. Um, and many of you here you know, know this story. I've talked about it before. But, um, you know, a wonderful woman, but just not of faith, and we did not share those common core uh, beliefs and values, and it just... Become, became increasingly um, conflictual. Uh, and I could imagine the Lord saying, you know, Nathan, really? 
okay. But, you know, he was still continued to be gracious to me, and he, he answered prayer um, by literally taking me out of that situation um, and, again, surrounding me with loving people and surrounding me with, with grace and many, many, of here, um, many of those people here at City Life. So at, at that point, I, I vowed, like, okay, twice is enough. I vowed that I, I would only pursue a relationship that glorified the Lord um, and only pursue, you know, a woman that was after his heart. And, and, but after all that, I doubted myself. I'm like, how, who, would, who would be with somebody so broken, you know, who's gone through these two ex- major experiences I mean, I, I thought I was destined to just get a dog and, you know, watch the thin red line on lonely Friday nights. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, the Lord said, you know, okay, Nathan, I, I, I believe you. And I opened myself up to the Lord, and within a short period of time, um, he introduced me to Janae, and it was sort of... Uh, a series of circumstances that were um, I wouldn't have expected, and again, he's just shown his grace to me, and he's he's putting his his you know his faith in me that I can do this, and um, and he answered my prayer, and so despite my brokenness, you know, we're we're getting married in two weeks, and um, you know this to me this is a sign of his grace, and. Um, I just wanted to share that. And right. Thank Amen. You. Thanks, Nathan. <laughs> Thanks, man. Let's pray. God of grace, I thank you for Nathan's story, telling it today the way that um, it's supposed to work, that we tell our, each other our stories as we experience you in trouble. Some of us hear that story today, and life is going really well, and, and you're poking at us to be suspicious of what kinds of things you're lining up in our life today that when trouble does come, um, it will begin to weave together things that you've put in our life. Others of us hear this and maybe we're single and also looking and praying for that one in our life and maybe there's a lot of frustration around that issue. It's not always what we want to hear is about other people's engagements and upcoming marriages. And that's an honest part of a community of a lot of different people. So I pray that you help us to be sensitive to each other's stories but also meet all of us in our prayers in our troubles today, whether we're looking for marriage, whether we're in a marriage, whether our marriage has fallen or is falling apart, we, we pray that you meet us in our stories and increase our faith that you really, really are there, you truly are working and writing a good story, and we can look for your leading. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.